Well, at this time, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the word of God. Good morning, family of God. I'm going to treat you like my sons. Lift every voice and sing until earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. Sing a new song, family. Today my prayer is that Christ Community Church would be a church that sings a new song to the Lord. We're going to come back to that song at the end of our time. But we have a song to sing. We have a song. I'm so excited to be here to talk, talk about this. We have a song to sing. And it's important that you sing your part. Whether that's a bass or a treble or trouble. You need to sing your part. Because we have a song to sing. And that song is part of the cosmic 
chorus, announcing to the world the victory and the justice of our God. I want to take a moment now in silence just to give God some space. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. So we can just be still. So let's practice that. I'll give you a few moments just to quiet your hearts. God is on the throne. He's big enough for you right now. He's big enough for me right now. He's big enough for John Mark. I will tell you, John Mark is preaching right now at Ebenezer Baptist Church on the east side. Pastor Scobie invited him to come and preach, so we're praying for John Mark. But right now, know that God is in control at Ebenezer. He's in control of Christ Community Church. He's actually in control in every corner of the planet. So we can be confident in that. So let's just be still. And then after a couple moments, I'll, I'll pray. I'll voice a prayer for us. Father in heaven, the world around us doesn't stop, but neither do you. So we can be still. We really want communion with you. I want to grow today by your word, and I want us to grow today by your word. So I just... uh, I want myself, Lord. I just don't want airs, man, about anything. I want to just communicate your truth and your, your word and truth. And I want your spirit to move like you always do uh, when your word is proclaimed. So I just pray that you would give us hearts to hear you today and, and uh, uh, understand more of your word. And I pray that uh, you would continue to compose within our souls within our composed souls, your melody today. So teach us to sing your song of salvation. Lord, please do that. In Jesus' name, amen. This psalm gives us two reasons to sing. They are, one, God has worked salvation for his people and made it known to all the nations. And two, God is coming to bring his justice to all the earth. So you can sum that up in these two phrases that I want you to repeat. The first is, the God of justice has come. And second, the God of justice is coming. And these two reasons give us every reason to sing to the Lord a new song. Let's look at them. The first one is, the God of justice has come. Look with me at the first three verses. It says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done 
marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed, pulled back his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel and all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. What is the psalmist singing about in these verses? He's singing about the salvation of God. We see that all over the place. His right hand, his holy arm has worked salvation for him. Everybody say salvation. The Lord has made known his salvation. Everybody say salvation. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Everybody say salvation. You got that, Victoria? Salvation. We're going to say salvation. Everybody say salvation. salvation. Salvation is a big deal. It is a big deal. Salvation means we were in trouble. Salvation means we were in distress. Salvation means we were drowning. We needed to be saved. And what did God do? He brought salvation. Salvation. Now, what do we learn about the salvation of God in these verses? Well, one we learn is that his salvation was marvelous. Marvelous. Now, y'all know marvelous. Marvelous comes from that word marvel, which y'all know about with superheroes. But I'm talking about superheroes. I'm talking about the superhero. Like, marvel. Marvelous. God has performed mighty wonders in working out his salvation. It's marvelous. It's, oh, sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous things, exclamation mark. I love that the ESV puts an exclamation mark in here. It wasn't in the Hebrew. But the marvelous works were, and this word can be translated awesome deeds or wonderful things that he's done. But the idea is what God has done in the earth should cause your mouth to drop and your eyes to widen, and your mind to be blown. God's marvelous works are so awesome. Now look at the end of verse 3. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. What kinds of things has he done? Well, the next line in verse 1 says, His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Now, in the Bible, whenever we see right hand or holy arm, or we see them together like strong hand and outstretched arm, they, they go together and they're talking about God's power. So partial know that your right hand and your arm go together, and they do in the Bible too. And we're talking about God's power here. His power And God has demonstrated his salvation in a powerful, marvelous way. And he's done it over and over again. So usually when we see the Bible talk about God's hand and his arm together, it's speaking metaphorically and it's often talking about God defending his people and about God overthrowing evil. Now, now, if you've been in church for a while, you know that that the Old Testament saints would would have pointed back to one particular event in which God demonstrated his marvelous power. What was that event? Mm-hmm. Yeah, rescuing him from Egypt, the Exodus, the Passover. That, that was like the event. If you don't know that story, there's a song that we teach to kids every week, right? It has this, song, has this story in it. It says, it says, God's people, sing along if you know it. God's people were in Egypt as slaves, and they cried out to the God who... 
saves. And the God who saves heard his people cry out and he sent how many plagues? Ten plagues and Moses led the people out and he brought them out and across the Red Sea. I'm going to stop right there because we've already gotten to marvelous. God led his people out of the most powerful nation on the planet with his presence. And he, he led them in a way they didn't expect. He led them out and they had to go back on themselves. And it didn't make sense, the, if you read through Exodus, it doesn't make sense the path that he's taking them on. But what we know is that he never lost control. And they got to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's army was behind them and the Red Sea was in front of them. And we know the story. He split the sea wide open. And they walked through on dry land. And as the Old Testament saints recount that story, what they say is, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. That's Exodus 15. Deuteronomy 4, God speaks about himself. He says, or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror? all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Has any God done that? Yes, one, and it's me. God has a strong hand and an outstretched arm. But we can go even beyond Exodus to think about the priest crossing the Jordan River. We can go beyond Jordan to Elijah defeating the priests of Baal when fire rained down from heaven and ate up all around it. We can go to the widow of Zarephath who was going to feed her son a little bit of flour and oil, some flatbread before he died. And yet God fed their family. And then the widow's son died. And God raised him from the dead. We could look at Gideon defeating a large army with 300 people. See, God is a God who does, who works marvelous wonders. Marvelous wonders. Powerful wonders. And that's your God. That's your God. Now, if we want to see the marvel of God, the primary place we look is the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the son of God who became incarnate in the womb of a poor teenager. Jesus, the one who healed the sick. Jesus, the one who raised the dead. Jesus, the one who made the blind see, made the deaf hear. Jesus, the one who defeated death by going through it. And this is powerful. One of the ways God bears his right arm, he shows his strength, is through the death of a Jewish teacher on a Roman cross. 
He showed his strength through what looked like defeat, but was really the salvation, the victory of God. What do we learn about the salvation of God? That God has done marvelous things in bringing about his salvation. But not only that, God has made his salvation known in the sight of the nations. Verse 2, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Now, when God rescued his people from their oppression in Egypt, he was saying to the world, evil and tyranny don't get to have the last word. See that word righteousness in verse 2? You might circle it. Because God's salvation is a salvation of righteousness. See, some of us are afraid of power. And that's likely because power has been abused a lot by humans. God has given us power to steward his creation toward his good purposes. But when people use power for their own selfish desires, it results in a lot of people being hurt or being abused or being trampled. But God's power is a righteous power. His salvation is a righteous salvation. God is a God who comes to the help of those who are in need. The most vulnerable will find a place of rest when God works salvation. Isn't that good news to us, church? That when you're in need, God comes to your aid. That when you need a place to stay, or you need some transportation, you need some food, that, 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 that God comes through. Do you experience God coming through? He comes through for people who are in need. And I know some of you right now, right now, sitting right here, have some deep needs. And I just want to say that we have a God who, who has a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and he will come through for you. It may not be overnight. It may not be like you imagined. But when you look back, all we can say is, you have done all my works. That's who we serve. And he did this in the sight of all the nations. Sometimes the God, the God will take you through things so that other people will see his faithfulness to you. So don't fret. Don't fret. God has come in the flesh to us in the person of Jesus Christ. When we look at Jesus, children are cradled, lepers are embraced, sinners are invited to sit at the table of God, which means that you have home too. This is the salvation of God. The salvation of God, verse 3 tells us, looks like this. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And again, he says, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Now, when we look closely at those words, steadfast love and faithfulness, because when we see those words, steadfast love and faithfulness, what often the biblical writers are telling us, they're, they're inviting us to think about the word covenant. Everybody say the word covenant. Now, now covenant is a, 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 a big word that kind of means promises, but it's deeper than promise. It, it, it's the language of God's promises. And it's the language that secures God's people to himself. So let me just talk just for a second about covenant in the Bible and why this is important. So, so God made a covenant, made a promise to a people. 
to a family, the family of Abraham. And Abraham had been a wandering shepherd uh, who, who God had called to leave his, his homeland, leave his father's house, and to go to a land that he would show him. And Abraham just believed God. He just believed God. He said, I believe that God, you're speaking to me. I'm going to do whatever you say. So he left his home, and he started wandering through the desert. And God gave him a promise. And he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. You made a covenant with me. I'm going to bless you. All the nations of the entire world. And there's other things that came with it. I'm going to give you land. You've been sojourning. You've been wandering. I'm going to give you lands, right? I'm going to make you a blessing. And, and, and God, God did that. Now, in Genesis chapter 15, the first book of the Bible, the 15th chapter, we have this strange ceremony that accompanied these promises that God was making to Abraham. And it was a weird, it was a weird ceremony. If you go back and read it, you'd be like, what in the world is going on? Because they would have to take these animals and they split the animals in like split the animals in two and lay them like side, like side by side. And then, and then they just kind of watch. And what happened was this like, divine, weird, supernatural kind of lantern thing, like a torch that was burning, passed through the middle of these animals, right? It's like, what? What is, what is going on here? Now, when we make a promise to somebody, if I say, if I tell you, Yo, I promise you, Mark, I'm going to buy you a Coke tomorrow. I'm not saying any... I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like, giving you a, that, that kind of a thing. Like, I'm not... Our promise is a different than covenant. Because with the covenant, what they would do is they would make a promise, yes. They say, here are the stipulations of my promise, right? But then they also say, here is the sign of my covenant. And they would have a ceremony like this. They, like sacrifice some animals or shed some blood, something like that. And what they're saying is not just like, yo, if I don't buy you that Coke tomorrow, Martin, I'll get it for you the next day. It's saying, no, if I break... If I break the stipulations of this covenant, then may it be so to me what happened in this ceremony. In other words, if, so God's saying to Abraham is, hey, Abraham, I'm making you this promise. I'm going to bless you, make you a blessing. I'm going to give you land and everything, all this other stuff. And if, if I don't, then I'm going to be like these animals that you just sacrificed. Like, may it be so to me, right? Now, that's, that's important. You got to have the sign of the covenant. So there's stipulations. There's like, this is what's going to happen if you do, and if you don't, and what's going to happen if you don't is a sign of the covenant. It's going to happen. It's going to happen here. This is the covenant. In, 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 are you tracking with me? Okay, you tracking with me? It's kind of, it's kind of weird, right? It's, it's, no, we don't have this kind of thing today. The, the best we have is like, is, is this, right? The best we have is this. It's like, our covenant is like, is like a marriage covenant. So, so on August 14, 2016, August 16, 2014, excuse me. Um, I made a, don't don't play. I I, I made a covenant to this woman. I know what happened. You know what happened. Don't play. I made a covenant to this woman, right? And I said, I said something to the effect of, I take this woman to be my lawfully wedded wife to have and to hold her from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part, Right? And I gave her a sign of the covenant. Now, this is different. It's like, this is like an eternal band that's made of metal that's kind of pure. and da, 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 da. But it's not like the ceremonial thing that we see in the Old Testament. But it's a, it's a good covenant. It's a really good covenant. But it wasn't this like, may it be so to you kind of a covenant. Let me just take you a little bit further. God gave his people a sign of the covenant. And that covenant was a covenant called circumcision. Now, if you know what circumcision is, 
It's not a pleasant experience. But what it is, is it is in the most intimate part of who you are, you're going to uh, cut off a part of yourself. Right? You're going to cut part of yourself off. And, and God gave them, gave them a sign that was, this is a sign of the covenant, which means if I don't keep my promise to you, may it be so to me. May I be, uh, may I be cut off from you and all your blessings if I don't keep my end of the deal. Now, here's the reality. Only make a promise to God if you mean it. Because none of us could keep that covenant. And if you look in your, in your cell, everybody who's here today has broken that covenant. God said, seek my, be like me. It's like, what? I look at what I did yesterday and I wasn't like you. This morning I wasn't like you. I, 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 we just break the covenant. But here is the beauty of the cross, man. It, it's steadfast love and faithfulness should bring your mind to when you seek covenant. Is that what God did is he saw us breaking the covenant. And rather than I'm going to cut you off, he became flesh. And on the cross, remember the seven things Jesus said on the cross? One of the things was, Father, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus on the cross is God being cut off from God so we could be united with God. God took the curse so we didn't have to take the curse. We get the blessings of the covenant even though we don't deserve it because Jesus took the curse. When we see steadfast love and faithfulness, that's what that means is when we did not deserve it. Jesus came and fulfilled both sides of the covenant so we could have the covenant. We got a better exodus, y'all. We got a better exodus. We weren't just rescued from Pharaoh. And all little pharaohs, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party and the Independent Party, all little pharaohs, we were rescued from sin and death. What will God not do for you? Where do you feel like you're stuck? You got a new song to sing. We look back at the past salvation of our God. It's cold, but it's warm, y'all. Are you feeling this? I'm telling you. Golly, God is good. All right. I just spent a long time on that. Second, second reason we sing is because not only has the God of justice come in the person of Jesus Christ, but he's also, he also is coming. Look at verse 9. It says, before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Equity is a great word to end this song on, man. I'll tell you what. Here we find the big three. 
righteousness, justice, and equity. We find these in places like Proverbs chapter 1, which says that true wisdom looks like living out righteousness and justice and equity. And what, what the Bible is saying is that, that because some of us might, might think, yeah, you say that, that salvation looks like God has come and he's rescued me, but my life doesn't look like it's rescued. Yes, you are right. And part of that is a lot of stuff we don't have time to go into today. But what God has promised and what the psalmist teaches us to sing is that, that God has come and he has brought his righteousness. But the work isn't finished yet because God is coming. And when he comes, he's going to make a world in which everything is right. where people who have been stepped on will be elevated, where the proud will be humiliated, where the humble will be exalted, where all your needs will be cared for. He is coming, and he's coming with righteousness and justice and equity. He's going to treat people right. He's going to do right by everybody, and everything will be as it's supposed to be. That day is coming soon. A day is coming soon. I encourage you to keep going back to the book of Revelation, to keep going back to places like Isaiah chapter 60, to keep meditating on the truths of God's word. Keep going back to Micah 4 and keep dreaming about this world that is coming so we can live as witnesses that God's going to keep his promise. We are people of hope. Because not only has God come, but God is coming. Now, this gives us reason to sing. But when we sing, we don't sing alone. We join in this cosmic chorus. Look with me at verse 7 through verse 9. It says, let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. All of creation participates in this new song that we sing. Now, a few months ago, I was reading this psalm with, uh, with Joshua and Malachi. Uh, and afterward, I asked Joshua, I said, hey, Joshua, what's your favorite part of this song? And you know what he said? He said, when the rivers were clapping. The rivers were clapping. Now, some of us might think, man, you don't want rivers clapping, man. I ain't no Rivers can't clap their hands. I'm just going to encourage you. What the psalmist is asking us to do is to... Not just think, but imagine. And if you've lost your imagination, man, go back to Scripture, man. We need some imagination, some prophetic imagination. Can you picture this? The sea, which in ancient Near Eastern literature is a symbol of chaos. We find that all the way back from Genesis chapter 1. The, the sea is a terrible place. Because you can't control the sea unless you're Jesus. And Jesus, you can walk on the sea. You can tell the sea to be still and the sea will be still. And what it's saying here is that the reason why we sing, when we sing, not only will we sing, but even the chaos of our life will give praise to God. (laughs) That's awesome. The rivers, which so often divide people from one another, even as they give life-giving water, will move in worship to God. 
the hills, which can be difficult to cross. The mountains will erupt in song. You got to go back and read Chronicles and Narnia to get this kind of thing. Because all of creation will join into the song of God's salvation. You know, in the book of Romans, it talks about creation groaning, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. And we can even see that, man. You ever had to, even when you pick a rose, you get a thorn. Man, you try to grow some peas, man, and you might get some weeds. And yet it's saying that there's going to come a day when all of creation is going to do what it's supposed to do. That sin has wrecked not only us, but it's wrecked creation. And that even is going to be redeemed. So that all of creation is going to join in this song of God's salvation. Because God is going to establish justice and righteousness and equity. The question then is, if God, the God of justice has come, and the God of justice is coming, and if all of creation is going to join in this cosmic chorus to him, then what's our response? should be pretty evident. Sing a new song. Look at verse 4. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Now, I think one thing these verses clue me into is the fact that uh, I've titled this little sub, subsection, uh, Sing With If you play trumpet, then play your trumpet. If you play a lyre, play your lyre. If you play a horn, because a horn was a ram's horn, didn't make a whole lot of notes, but it did a little something. Then, then play your horn, man. I, I, I think what we needed to hear in the, these, these verses right here is, it's just sing with whatever you got. You might say, but I can't carry a tune like Kent, man. Well, just sing what you got. You say, I, 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 I can't teach like Gina. Well, just teach what you got, man. Just sing with whatever you got. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. And you know what? God is the composer who can make even discordant chords harmonious. That's what he does with us. You have any friendships in this room that you never thought would actually work? That's because God is a really good composer. Jacob Collier style, Kent would say. He can make even the chords that shouldn't agree agree. Right? That's what he does. That's what he does, right? That's what he does. I got to clap from Kent, man. Come on, man. That's, that's what he does, right? He says, make a joyful noise. All the, whatever you got, Miss Martha, sing with it. Bring it. Let your life be a song. Let, 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 your voice, let your voice be raised. Now I want to give you one version of this. This is from a guy by the name of James Weldon Johnson. He was a poet. He was writing. And the way he describes it is like this. There's a group of young men in Jacksonville, Florida, had arranged to, or arranged to celebrate Lincoln's birthday. In 1900, it's like 121 years ago, 122 years ago. And they were celebrating Lincoln's birthday. 
And, and this guy, James Weldon Johnson, said, my brother, Jay Rosamond Johnson, and I decided to write a song to be sung at the exercises. He says, I wrote the words and he wrote the music. Our New York publisher, Edward B. Marks, made mimographed copies for us. Think, think just like copy machines, before copy machines. And the song was taught to and sung by a chorus of 500 colored school children. Shortly afterwards, my brother and I moved away from Jacksonville to New York, and the song passed out of our minds. But the school children of Jacksonville kept singing it. They went off to other schools and sang it. They, these school children, these students, became teachers and taught it to other children. Within 20 years, it was being sung over the South and in some other parts of the country. Today, the song, popularly known as the Negro National Hymn, is quite generally used. So the song that we open this, this, this sermon with is a song called Lift Every Voice and Sing. I got the title of this sermon, which is a song that talks about the African-American experience. Now, I, I'm going to give you one more verse of that in just a second. But before I do, I, I want I want. Because you, you, you just need to hear it. You need to hear it. Because it's going to teach us how to sing. It's just one, one example, but it's going to teach us how to sing. And, and I think we need to, we need to remember that, that this is 1900. Now, now tomorrow we're going to celebrate um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Which, which, if you know when King lived, he lived like 19... Most of his work was done in the 1950s and 60s. He was killed in 68. Now, this, this song that we're singing is written in 1900, commemorating the birthday of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, who, who was president of the United States. Abraham Lincoln, who gave the Emancipation Proclamation. It said, four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. But here we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can, can long endure. And what he's saying is, listen, we started off with some liberty, but not everybody got that liberty. So we had some ideals that were good, but our practice was off. And he said, we need to, we need to change that. And so in 1963, when he made this proclamation, what he was saying is that, hey, we had a, a, a preamble that said that all men are created equal. Let's live up to that. As King said, let's cash that check, right? And so James Wilson Johnson is writing, commemorating the birthday of this man who brought this emancipation. But this song isn't just about that emancipation. It's actually deeper than that. See, the third verse of this song says this. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, Thou who hast brought us thus far on our way, Thou who hast by Thy might let us into the light. Keep us forever in the path 
we pray. Check us out. Lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee. Lest our hearts, drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee, shadowed beneath thy hand. May we forever stand true to our God, true to our native land. You see what he's doing? How do you sing a new song? You start right where you are and you run as fast as you can to the cross. You start right where you are and you run as fast as you can to the cross. Don't get sidetracked. Hebrews 12 says, don't just throw off sin, throw off everything that entangles. Don't get drunk with the world's wine. It really will not quench your thirst. Just run as fast as you can to the cross. So when we sing songs like this, we don't just sing them because of some human emancipator. Abraham Lincoln could only pronounce what God had already declared. We have a great emancipator who knows how to lead his people out of slavery with a strong right hand and a wholly outstretched arm, he will not be defeated. Family, I, I, I pray that we would sing our song. What song are you singing? Whose song are you singing? What song are you singing with your work? What song are you singing with your relationships? What song are you singing in your marriage? What song are you singing while you fix lunch? What song are you singing while you drive? Are you telling the story of God's true salvation or are you longing for the salvation of someone who really can't deliver You want to sing your song, start where you are, and run to the cross. It may take you three verses to get there, or three years, or three decades. You may have to cross some weary years. You may have to cry some silent tears. sing your song sing your song we got a song to sing the song of God's salvation it has come it is coming and it's worth singing about let's pray Father we long 
for your salvation. We in all of creation still groan. But Lord, I pray we would groan with a melody that tells of your righteousness, your justice, your equity, the salvation that you have brought, the salvation that you are bringing. And I pray for my friends, for myself. I got a lot of songs in my head, Lord. I got a lot of a lot of R&B. We got a lot of songs in my head. But Lord, I want to sing songs that, that, that of your deliverance. Songs of pictures of the, of the new world. Songs of relationships gone right. Not just rhythm and blues. I want to sing songs of your deliverance. So God, teach us as a, as a people individually and corporately how to sing your song together with one voice for your glory. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.